Are you ready to take your leadership in your organization to the next level and beyond? Your competitors will be there before you know it. Today's leaders must perpetually innovate their leadership approach, evolve their organizations, and grow faster than the competition. Welcome to Innovating Leadership, co-creating our future with Maureen Metcalf. In the next hour, you'll meet innovative leaders who have become successful at the helm of some of the most respected organizations in the world, and you can become the next big success story. Now, here is your host, Maureen Metcalf. Hi, welcome to Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Your Future. I am your host, Maureen Metcalf. I am the founder and CEO of the Innovative Leadership Institute. We help leaders identify disruptive trends and develop strategies to transform themselves and their organizations into industry leaders. I'm a regular contributor to Forbes and the lead author on an award-winning book series focusing on innovating how you lead and transforming your organization. I'm also a fellow with the International Leadership Association. I am delighted to have with us today Melissa Lampson. And our topic is managing effectively in a complex global business environment, which has never been more relevant than it is right now. So Melissa is the CEO of Lampson Consulting and works with successful leaders to refine their professional skills and create inclusive workplaces. She knows that when leaders present their the best vision of themselves, individuals, teams, and organizations win. Melissa has a master's in intercultural relations. She founded companies in Europe and the U.S., has clients and projects in over 40 countries, and has authored six books. Melissa works side-by-side with a group group of global Sorry, cut that. Melissa works side-by-side with a global list of C-level executives. Throughout her career, she's helped strong leadership cultures developed managers and leadership learning programs from the ground up and acquired firsthand knowledge of several leading industries, including the latest advancements in artificial intelligence, which is foundational to one of the disruptions and one of the opportunities we're seeing going forward. So in this conversation, we're going to talk about how successful organizations of the future are the ones that will manage the decentralized human capital and diverse human culture inherent in any global business environment. New technology has become a primary driver of our global communication and successful managers know how to use technology to manage and motivate teams remotely. But it also requires a whole new set of communication and project management skills that are constantly evolving. And so that seems to be the watchword in our world right now is disruption as we're coming out of the COVID-1 virus uh, and all of the disruption that's happened with that. And, And with that, facing environments where uh, employees were required to work from home because uh, cities were shut down, uh, travel was on moratorium. A lot of us are seeing right now the disruption that is happening from that. And so the work that Melissa's doing has never been more uh, relevant and uh, paramount to success. So Melissa, thank you so much for joining us. Is there anything you want to tell our listeners before we jump into the conversation, including talking about your new book. Oh, thanks very much, Maureen. I'm very happy to be here. Yes, I'm. I, I, 
just very excited about your opening and how I can contribute to to support um, this kind of immediate need of being able to work more effectively in dispersed teams um, as we deal with this pandemic. So the first segment is going to focus on global differences. What's a global mindset and why does a leader need to develop it? And specifically, I think there are a lot of people who are still working in their location and focused on potentially either a community or a state or nationally and don't necessarily connect to how global our work is, even if our company is not a global firm. Right. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, with respect to my book, that's exactly the subject that I tried to kind of bridge, um, that I contend that whether we're working uh, locally, nationally, or internationally, we're working in a global context and need a global mindset because today's workforce is so mobile and so multicultural. And so when I look at cultural differences, if you will, or cultural diversity, I see that as yet another uh, lens through which to look at personal uh, and work preferences, right, and styles with which we like to be managed, work in teams, sell, build relationships, et cetera. And so in addition to individual personalities and perhaps other factors like gender and generation, um, I also look at it through the cultural lens. And so I think, therefore, having a global mindset and operating with a global mindset is necessary for everyone. Um, And... So how Global Mindset is defined is the the GLOBE project that was initiated um, by a team of researchers, academic researchers, um, they essentially found that that Global Mindset was made up of three categories, and that is intellectual capability, um, social capability, and psychological capability. Um, Actually, Thunderbird School of Management calls those um, uh, capital, which I think is interesting too, uh, referencing human capital. So intellectual capital is what is the knowledge that I have to operate in a multicultural or global context in terms of working with vendors, what kinds of contracts do I need, how much input do does the government uh, have in terms of the operations that I set up there or that I'm operating, the, the communities that I'm operating in. And then Psychological capital uh, or capability is, do I actually have the will or the interest to work in a diverse environment or a global environment or with, uh, with diverse uh, individuals or communities? And then the social capital is, do I have the um, capability in terms of the intercultural competence, the interpersonal abilities or skills? And I think uh, re- just quickly referencing back to artificial intelligence and digital transformation, those skills in interpersonal connection and interpersonal um, or, or just social skills generally are going to become more and more important as uh, as we automate our business practices and systems more and more. Um, so that, I think, the social capital is going to become also really critical. It's a really interesting point how we think of how humans will communicate when, when, um, and this may be where we uh, give more meat on the bones of what is artificial intelligence and um, how does how does robotic process automation play? So how do we interact when the interactions are going to be human to human, human to robot, robot to robot? 
communication becomes right. paramount and setting rules and agreements also becomes foundational to effective functioning across the ecosystem that now includes more significantly uh, the role of machines. That's right. Yes. Um, yeah, I'd be very interested to hear more on your take on that and certainly from some of your other um the interviewees that you've talked to, uh, because the actual technical side, while I have some sort of high-level knowledge of it, it'll be really it would be really interesting to know more about what is being developed and what is being considered. I know that, for example, there are a couple of projects um, right now around um, just developing AI and ensuring that they have very multidisciplinary teams working on those projects and whether that's actually having experts out of different fields with different um, backgrounds working on those solutions or it's actually getting the engineers who are building those solutions sort of upskilled and upknowledged in the area of um, philosophy and art and psychology and the different disciplines so that they can have more holistic thinking in terms of just the development of these of the machines that we'll be using and, and be interacting with. You know, one of the things, and this came from one of our guests, but it's also something that's very interesting to me, and it's the ethics we program into machines consciously or unconsciously. So I, as the programmer, may inadvertently program my bias in, and you talk later about cultural bias. Am I programming a bias in uh, about winning over ethics? Or, you know, what what do I ensure I um, integrate into the intellect, into the learning algorithm. So am I teaching them the robot or the process, hopefully to become continually more efficient and effective, but there's also a project and some research happening uh, funded by uh, Jim Grody and his foundation to look at what does love look like in artificial intelligence and can we create machines that are ethical as well as efficient and effective. And, and so I think we are early in the frontier of what will emerge and, and presumably it'll be messy like every other new frontier. It, I am, <laughs> right. And, and some people will use it. Some people already are uh, for ransomware and all kinds of nefarious outcomes What's encouraging mm -hmm. is there is also this exploration of what can and needs to happen on the side of ethics. Yes, that's right. And I think from a from a policy standpoint or from a regulation standpoint, that's maybe easier while still complicated. But from a bi just an individual bias perspective, uh, tricky. And I guess on the positive side, I think it's interesting that we're thinking about this and having these conversations now because examining how bias could impact the development of AI is at least creating more conversation about biases in general, right? And so I think, and that's, and my personal opinion is we really need to explore that a lot more because as we get busier and more, um, more rushed and more pressured, then those biases can be easy to access, you know, positively and negatively in terms of, you know, obviously it's, it's more efficient to be able to categorize, quickly make decisions and move on. But when those are potentially dangerous or harmful um, categorizations, right, or decisions, 
that are based on biases that we're not aware of, then that is obviously when we we need to start to kind of peel back the onion and pause for a moment and, and, and perhaps look at our decisions or the outcomes and see how we might retool those. You know, it's amazing that we live in a time where we can program, hard code into a machine learning about the adverse impact of bias, where it's not so easy to hard code that into a human. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That was, that was so, essentially what I was trying to say, but you said that much more elegantly. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So how does how does the robot learn the negative impact? What's what's the barrier that's getting in my way? And if it is a bias, how do I learn from that much more quickly than than I, Maureen, or you, Melissa, can learn? Right. That's right. Yes. So it will so, be fascinating to see how that evolves for sure. So let's take a slight shift. We have about four more minutes in this segment. How do cultural differences impact teamwork? Yes. So I present forth a model which I've used for years um, that's based out of the intercultural communication uh, theory that's uh, been established for maybe 60, 70 years now. And the model that I use is called the 4D culture model, four dimensions of culture model. And those four dimensions are what I've seen anecdotally and also have uh, done studies on showing up most in teamwork. And that is hierarchy, uh, more officially termed individual and collective um, culture. So individual individual cultures are more apt to have flatter hierarchies and collective cultures are more... um, it's more common to follow sort of the the ranks of hierarchy. And so there's lots of impact around that uh, in terms of how teams are managed and who makes decisions and who takes initiative. And then there's time management in terms of how flexible or how rigid am I in terms of of scheduling, deadlines, outcomes, milestones, and then um, direct and indirect communication. So what does yes mean? What does no mean? Um, how do I know that I'm going to get engagement and that uh, deliverables will will happen? And then the fourth one there is is mindset or thought patterns, and that is what kind of information do I need up front to be able to take an action? Do I need to have a plan in order to um, take uh, in order to start initiating a project, or can I just kind of jump in and sort of create the plan as I go? So those are really the four major components to the cultural differences that can, as you could probably assume, create quite a lot of chaos and misunderstanding, but also make it quite fun, um, especially if you can leverage those differences, if you're aware of them and you can leverage them for the betterment of the project. So we have about one minute left in this segment, and this we could do a whole show on this topic, so I don't want to minimize Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Um, but mm-hmm. can you give us one example of one of these four and how it plays out. I can think of a lot of them, but I want to make sure uh, we're steering the conversation to your research. Sure. There was a French manager who comes from an individualistic culture and so therefore more flatter hierarchy. And he was managing a team in Mexico um, of software engineers and they happen to be a more collective culture, so therefore a little bit more hierarchical. And one day he asked one of the team members if, if, if she would present the uh, problems that they were having with the solution to the rest of the team. 
Um, and he did so, and uh, she or asked her this, and then she said, "Sure, I'll be happy to." Ended up, she ended up not showing up to the meeting. Eventually, she was um, he couldn't reach her anymore, and then she eventually left the team and actually left the company. And he was really confused because she was the key expert on the team to be the person who would be eventually be able to solve the issues. And so that's why he actually selected her to talk about what the problems they were having. But anyway, as it turned out, she assumed that he was throwing her under the bus because uh, it would be very uh, kind of it, it would show disrespect to her team lead if she was to say in front of the whole team, these are the problems that we're having. Um, on on this project because it would somehow make him look like a like a like a, a not a very good leader, and so she had expected that he would have the conversation with her, uh, talk and then present the problems back to the full team um, himself. Uh, so that's just an example of a hierarchy piece uh, between individual and collective cultures that could certainly cause a lot of friction and uh, in this case, unfortunately, loss of talent. It's a brilliant example of how just not understanding some of the basics really gets in our way. So we're going to go to right. break. I encourage our listeners to think about uh, just these these four items and how not being lined up creates a, a significant opportunity for failure and how important it is to understand the cultures of the specific individuals who work in my organization, which just adds a great deal more complexity than we often think as we walk in the door in the morning to go to work. what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. The Innovative Leadership Institute is your trusted partner to create perpetual innovation and evolution in your leadership and organization. Are you ready to innovate and evolve? Since its inception, the Innovative Leadership Institute has been dedicated to helping leaders evolve their leadership mindset and skills and create organizations that can continually innovate to achieve results in a highly competitive and rapidly changing environment. We help leaders, management teams, and organizations identify and create the capacity to update how they lead, identify, and implement transformative solutions necessary to meet their mission and create strategic advantage. The Innovative Leadership Institute offers proven results backed by leading-edge research and a global network of accomplished consultants and thought leaders. Visit InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com. Maureen and her associates are ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your goals. Move forward with the Innovative Leadership Institute. Visit InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com today. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Thank you again for joining us this week. Please tune in for another edition of Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Our Future with Maureen Metcalf next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope you'll join us then and have a great week. 
Hi, welcome back to Innovating Leadership, co-creating our future. Today's focus is on managing effectively in a complex global business environment. And our guest is Melissa Lampson. We are, during the first segment, we talked about global differences and global mindset. We're now going to talk about gender differences. And this ties back to that question of artificial intelligence and implicit bias and explicit bias and how it really plays out in this current uh, slice of time in history. And um, I think we will also address and maybe debunk some of the myths about gender differences and, and how we have treated them in the past versus where we are right now. So Melissa, uh, let's talk about how do women and men lead differently? Sure. Wow. Lots of good stuff in there. So how <laughs> so women and men lead. Question, is it? <laughs> right. It's so just like, I'm like, oh, we have 16 minutes to talk about how men <laughs> women lead differently. Um, so again, there are sort of several um, theoretical concepts that I like to refer to. And um, there's a book called Gender Physics that recently came out and they refer to feminine and masculine energies, which I really like because it's a, it's a touchy subject. While it's very important for us to recognize how men and women have traditionally been socialized differently to um, interact, to make decisions, to lead, um, it is also important not to stereotype and to, to be clear that there are sort of energies that we can both, that both genders can access, right? Um, and so when we're talking about feminine energies, if that's even the right label for it, um, there are things like harmony and um, um, uh, being relationship focused, um, collaboration, um, more feelings oriented, and so forth, and uh, those are all very very important qualities. And obviously, men and women have them, but it is the the research shows that men that women will often lead with many of those, and that that becomes a huge strength, particularly when working globally, because we need more and more collaborative styles of working, particularly when we're working in dispersed teams, uh, virtual teams all around the world, um, that, that that touch point for connecting, personal connection, and being willing to ask questions and then to um, help others feel like they, they have a leadership role within a team, all of those kind of collaboration qualities are really um, showing up as being success factors for teams. And so those, are, those can be more innately um, connected to, to women uh, operating the way that they operate and lead. Um, by contrast, also uh, with men, there's more focus, there's more direction in terms of a leadership style, uh, looking at logic many times facts and figures before looking at um, how, what the impact that is on people or customers or relationships. Um, also the sense of competition and status, still very important in, uh, in, in the male energy world. And mm -hmm. so those are, of course, important because there are times when, when focus is really obviously very important and competition is critically necessary. Um, and then also, particularly in certain cultural environments, it's more common to to um, show status and to be motivated by status and to admire status. And so 
that can often be a driver for engagement um, and team engagement. So it's really important to know these different energies and to be able to leverage them. First of all, see them in the individual team members that you're working with, and then also know how to leverage those, uh, whether they're natural strengths of yours or their their uh, opportunities for development, um, so that you can play to to the, the different energies. Period. Um, love- okay, so I'll pause there for a second, and we'll. <laughs> Thank you. I love the idea that we are now moving into a space where we talk about I as a person and you as a person walking around in a female body can actually embody both the energies and the behaviors typically associated with men and typically associated with women. Our leadership model, and this may not be popular among some people for, for a range of reasons. We play to our strengths or the the focus on gender and diversity, but it does, it it is our view that the most successful leaders are able to access when needed, the right amount of each of those energies. And I realize none of us are perfect and we will certainly rely on others on our team. But I also think I can't abdicate, abdicate focus because I live in a female body especially if I have a primarily female leadership team and my male colleagues can't abdicate collaboration and empathy to me, we still have to have an appropriate mix. That's right. So I, I, right. I just want to say, I appreciate the the focus on the energies and I realize that now complicates the whole equation even further. And to your point, different energies are required in hierarchical versus collective cultures and and so on. That's right. And, you know, I feel really strongly about the fact that we need to be really aware of where we may be perhaps suppressing some of of our energy, right, in order to fit into what's considered the norm um, in either direction, right? So when I'm with other women, if I come in with a strong sense of competition and, for example, just something simple like bantering, right? So you see how men will come into a meeting with each other and it is co- it's not uncommon to see them banter with each other, sort of make fun of each other a little bit. And that's their way of kind of uh, exercising competition and sort of proving themselves to each other. And everybody sort of respects that and, and, and is used to that. Well, I shouldn't say everyone, but it is a common practice with men and mm-hmm. they and they typically find that to be appealing and interesting and even and even exciting, right? It challenges each other. And for women, if I came in and I started doing that in a group of women, I, you know, several of the women would sort of look at me like, wow, do you even know me well enough to banter like that? I mean, I might do that with like a really close girlfriend, but it might not do that, you know, in a business context. And so... Um, if I do that with men, it's okay. But if I do that with other women, it might not be. And so if my nature is to be more competitive, then I might feel like I prefer to work with men and or I might be suppressing myself with other women who also actually appreciate a competitive nature. And so uh, the, to your point, <laughs> Maureen, the, the complexity there is um, is when can I be myself? When do I need to adapt? And uh, what is just socially acceptable, right? And can we have tolerance and patience for those different styles and energies, no matter who they're coming from? Growing up in a female body, obviously, but both of us work heavily in the technology space. So I assume you have over years or decades 
adapted your style to a more male style, I am more comfortable in that dynamic because that's where I've spent most of my career. So more time in the male environment than in the, in the predominantly female environment. I don't even, that just has become very much innate to me. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's very, that's not uncommon. Um, as, as you know, most of my clients are in the tech industry and I actually do workshops specifically for women in leadership. And it was, it was, um, I was really lucky. It was one of the most um, requested workshops that I've done. I've run them for 10 years it's based on hundreds of uh, interviews I've done with uh, female execs and trying to understand what would be really helpful in, in the, the, in to, to support the building of careers, pivoting of careers, promotions, perhaps even starting companies, jumping out and starting their own, their own thing. Um, and so these workshops were just, they're amazing. And it's funny, I'm a little bit different from you in that I actually feel really comfortable with female energy and I, it's where I prefer to actually live and work. However, I also do workshops for men <laughs> and in terms of understanding the gender energies and where they can be supportive of women, but also get their needs met when they have uh, female leaders um, that they report to, right, and trying to understand, help that and understand that. Um, no matter where the energies are coming from. Um, but in any case, the, when I'm working with men, I actually just find it really fun and challenging to pivot uh, the way that I communicate and to pivot the way that I interact um, so that I can be very comfortable and natural working with men, and I enjoy it a lot. But, it, but it's interesting that I do feel sort of naturally most comfortable with female energy. Hmm. And I am more comfortable now than I was. And society allows women to be credible now where 30 years ago, it felt like to be credible, women had to operate using the male operating system. Male yes, energy. That's right. That's right. So that's let's right. use that as the foundation for the next question. In our current environment, is there a playbook for women to be more successful in business, realizing that the rules of the game are different than they were for me 30 years ago when I started? And I can't use those rules either because then I seem a little androgynous. Right. Well, it's funny because the title of my workshop is The Playbook for Career Success. <laughs> so. I would say, yes, there is a playbook. Um, well, the playbook I propose is really understanding the different gender, gender energies, gender okay. energies, and uh -huh. <laughs> um, being able to leverage those uh, and understand the complexity of those. Um, and then, uh, and, and being really truly self-aware of what's, what's important to me. And then, um, taking those into better and different practices around developing my network, uh, asking for what I want, uh, visioning my own career goals, um, and then also self-advocacy, team advocacy, organizational advocacy. Um, and then what does that all mean in terms of um, what kinds of what kind of value and culture, values and culture do I want to um emphasize in my team, right? What, what, what kind of team culture do I want to have, particularly as, mm -hmm. as a, as a leader, as a woman in leadership? One of the things that I, unfortunately I'm, I'm hearing a lot is uh, from women who have, uh, who are, have been in leadership roles or are in leadership roles. They're saying, you know, I, um, 
I really like to get out of this organization or this corporate world or this situation because my next step or my next play is going to become really quote unquote political or tactical. And I just don't have the energy for that. That just isn't appealing to me. And it's interesting because mm. even women who I would say have very masculine energy also shy away from or really sort of dislike that kind of political play. And and so what happens is we lose women right before they could become um, serious players at the leadership level because of that. And they go on to do amazing things. And I'm excited that we have so many great um, startups that are founded by women and so many great products that are developed by women. However, I, there is a part of me that feels like we have a moral and ethical responsibility to learn the game, maybe even play the game a bit in order to change the game so that we can really create those pathways for, for other women to get to the top. Otherwise, things aren't really going to change. It, it does seem like it is both learn and play. That if I am right. in, if, if I'm playing football... I shouldn't be playing by soccer rules or I'm going to fail. And if I want to be a football star, I know what that game is and I can master it. I may not love um, putting on a helmet, but if I want to, to be a power player in that space because I can make a greater impact in the game than out of the game, then I need to understand and play the rules. That's just the process. Well, that's right. I mean, if you think about, let's say you have a 10-year career at McKinsey and all of a sudden you go to PwC and you, you know, the first three months in, all you do is refer to how great McKinsey does this and how great McKinsey does that. Yeah, I won't <laughs> and be the way you did things very at well. McKinsey, right, it's not going to be very popular at PwC. But if you start kind of figuring out the way PwC does things, and then as people begin to trust you and appreciate your contribution, then you could say, hey, would you love to learn some best practices that we had at McKinsey? I think we could really benefit from that here at PwC. People will be a lot more open to it. And so I see that in whether you're talking about working across cultural differences, personality styles, or certainly gender energies. And, and you know, for me, it's I don't name it the same way. So I wouldn't say, do you want to learn about a McKinsey best practice? I just say, do you want to learn about a best practice? Or an alternate True. practice I think would be effective. So I, and I generally don't point to gender. Again, I'll just say this is, would you consider an alternate approach that I think would help us be more effective? Yes, I think that's a great point. Absolutely. I don't necessarily advocate that we speak to it as a, as a specific gender energy, but just to have enough knowledge to be able to talk about multiple approaches, to your point. Exactly. Well, and for you and I, understand, and for many, many people listening, understanding the framework allows us to be more effective. For other people, pointing out the framework is not always useful, but can be. Again, back to the art versus the science. There's no recipe That's that right. says X. And understanding the energies behind it seems foundational for a leader to be amazingly effective. Right. That's right. I guess where, where, where I get nervous about not understanding frameworks, why, or let's say this, where, why I'm pro-framework um, is because there's, there's a lot of opportunity to kind of downplay differences or, quote-unquote, to be colorblind 
or to kind of, you know, sort of brush these princes under the rug. So this is business. Mm-hmm. Business is business, so we all know how to run business um, and to be successful. And I think while that's true, I think it's also very important to really understand the nuances and see how they play out. Question it, look at it, analyze mm-hmm. it. Don't stereotype and don't be too binary around it, but certainly to to just at least use it as, as a lens through which we can certainly understand mm-hmm. different people's uh, experiences because it, it certainly also ties back to power. I mean, it's not only about difference, but it's also about what has my difference caused me to experience in my lifetime and what am I bringing to the table in terms of isms or discrimination or just negative experiences that um, that could have, uh, you know, some kind of an impact on the way I work. It could be also what drives me to be successful. Certainly, it's not always a negative impact. Um, but I think it's important for us to have an understanding of those nuances so that we can really see the whole person. And so that's why I tend to be uh, an advocate of frameworks in order to just really have a broader picture. And I think you just teed up this next segment talking about diversity and inclusion. And I absolutely agree. My work revolves around frameworks. I create them. I teach them. Some people can resonate with them. Others cannot. But again, I think the greatest leaders understand and leverage frameworks because it allows us to have a common language, a repeatable process, and a way to make meaning of all the random stuff that just happens and there are great researchers who who create the frameworks by looking at you being one of them across a broad range of companies and industries to see what's durable and what's a one-off. And if I'm leading a company, I don't have the time for that. I, I want to look at the best framework for today and use it. So as we go on break, I would encourage our listeners to think about, is there a framework that you fall back on to make sense of and to test what's happening in your current experience and to frame it. And we will be back immediately after break. This is Melissa Lampson and Maureen Metcalf, and we are talking about managing effectively in a global business environment. what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. The Innovative Leadership Institute is your trusted partner to create perpetual innovation and evolution in your leadership and organization. Are you ready to innovate and evolve? Since its inception, the Innovative Leadership Institute has been dedicated to helping leaders evolve their leadership mindset and skills and create organizations that can continually innovate to achieve results in a highly competitive and rapidly changing environment. We help leaders, management teams, and organizations identify and create the capacity to update how they lead, identify, and implement transformative solutions necessary to meet their mission and create strategic advantage. The Innovative Leadership Institute offers proven results backed by leading-edge research and a global network of accomplished consultants and thought leaders. Visit InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com. Maureen and her associates are ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your goals. Move forward with the Innovative Leadership Institute. Visit InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com today. 
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Thank you again for joining us this week. Please tune in for another edition of Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Our Future with Maureen Metcalf next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope you'll join us then and have a great week. Welcome back to Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Your Future, Our Future. Uh, Managing effectively in a complex business environment is our topic today, and our guest is Melissa Lampson. And so at the end of the last segment, we started talking about diversity and inclusion. And during the break, Melissa and I talked about how we look at, at diversity and inclusion, not about the ticking and tying the numbers, but really the impact it has on our business success and that being the rationale for attending to it. So Melissa, will you share with our listeners, what do you think is important about diversity, inclusion, and I would say equity uh, in today's business (laughs) environment to ensure that, that our organizations and our precious humans thrive? Yes. Oh, there's so much to be said about this topic as well. Um, I I just uh, developed a talk that I'm touring. It's a rather provocative title, but Six Ways Companies Are Practicing D&I All Wrong. And it's interesting. I I started my career in D&I 20-something years ago, and I find it fascinating how a lot of clients are actually coming back around who have been practicing it too internally um, to contact me and say, hey, what we haven't really moved the needle in 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, what could we be doing better? Or what could we, what do we need to think about in terms of the future of work? Um, and so in analyzing and listening to what companies are still doing today or are doing today, they are still practicing D&I with, I think, personally, very outdated uh, methods and strategies. So there still may be just some high-level messaging at the top of the organization, but there isn't a true strategy that's tied to the business goals. Um, they're they're um, sort of placing most of the tactical work and even the messaging in the with affinity groups or ERGs, and I find that to be um, really unfortunate that that employees uh, are having to wear yet another hat and be part of a group that may or may not really have much traction other than mm. to be of support of each other, you know, within organization. And so I just, I feel like there's got to be a better model or a better structure for, for ERGs or affinity groups. And then um, the other piece is, is just sort of assigning diversity to one person who may be two or three levels down in the organization, typically a person of a, some kind of a diverse background, and then really saying, hey, can you be the spokesperson or the shoulders with which all of this lies, which, of course, also can't be, isn't really a very good solution. I mean, most of those folks, um, it, there's no real succession plan for them. It becomes complicated and difficult for them to even have their own uh, their own career path. Thought leadership isn't always an, an, an option within the company. It may end up being so something outside of the company, in which case they have to become very entrepreneurial. So I just feel like there's something about the whole, the whole practice of it that just isn't working well. And I, and I would like to look at, at different ways of doing it. Um, 
I feel like today if we can really look at the inclusion and equity piece and talk about it in relationship to scale, whether the business is really growing from a, from a people standpoint, that's one thing, but certainly from a revenue standpoint, um, what, what, is, what does inclusion mean and how can that support our growth overall? And so inclusion and equity to me is how do we feel comfortable being who we are, bringing ourselves, bringing our styles, um, allowing for creativity, giving some space um, to employees to not be so overwhelmed with stress that they, that they don't perform at, 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 at optimum. And so things like, and I know this is going to sound simplistic, Maureen, but, you know, just how do we be more um, approachable, be more mindful? Uh, how do we adopt? Okay, let me, let me give a more practical example. I think one of the things that my clients find very useful are just simply training up people with coaching skills. And so if you can become a, a fabulous coach, you become a great listener and you become a great, a great um, anthropologist in a way so that you really understand what motivates an individual, what an individual is all about, uh, why they're, they're productive or engaged, and what's meaningful for them, both personally and professionally. And then you tie tie the KPIs or OKRs or their, just simply their objectives to with back to that. And that's, that's a winning combination. You know, one of the frameworks, back to frameworks, that, that we use heavily is the, the harmonic vibrancy or organizational vibrancy framework. And they talk about what keeps people engaged uh, is how do I feel when I am with the people in this organization and one of the underlying questions in their survey focuses on, do I feel trusted and do I trust the people around me to have my best mm -hmm. interest at heart? Do they look for opportunities for me to succeed? And do I look for opportunities for them to succeed? And it seems like not to, to wash away the focus on differences, because I don't think that is the right answer, but the underpinning of everyone on my team is a precious resource. And for us to be successful, everyone has to be treated with respect and appreciation and given the opportunity to do the work we pay them to do. And when we create mm -hmm. that, some of the, some of the other stuff falls away. Yes. Right. That's right. I mean, when we go really macro level with this, and I've been thinking a lot about this recently, it's, it's like, what if everybody had access to an education, in, particularly in the U.S., right, but all, even the world? What if everybody had access to health care? I mean, these are two major pieces that would dramatically change the level of engagement and productivity in organizations. Because people wouldn't be operating out of fear or, or mm -hmm. scarcity, but they would be operating, and, and they also wouldn't be frustrated with the kind of talent that they're sourcing or as frustrated. Mm -hmm. So there would be, um, so you'd have educated talent. There would be more of an abundance of, of, of people out there mm -hmm. who could work in your organization if they knew that they would have some sort of support in terms of healthcare. People aren't mm -hmm. staying in a job because of fear of, of being without that. And yeah. so I, I, it makes me wonder if companies need to take a more active role just in terms of society and policy and, 
uh, providing people and communities generally with more education and more health care. You know, when we talk about the wicked problems, and I realize this is a subject for an entirely different show, right. we have <laughs> structurally a, a set of um, laws, rules, policies that, that put us in this place. Again, at this point in time, other countries have different policies and rules around healthcare and education and social safety net. And to solve the wicked problems, I do believe that all sectors have to come together to address and, and really to just update. We got here to this point in time based on those rules and policies and laws, how do we move to the next level? And for me, there's also, I don't want to overlook in the conversation about diversity and inclusion, the impact that historic discrimination has created on our current population. So, so mm -hmm. the big amount of um, more black men incarcerated than any other population. Part of that is due to implicit bias. And uh, someone who's an expert in this could run down the, the volume of statistics about what got us here and how do we include that conversation in this uh, sticky set of problems to bring equity not just starting today, but how do we recover? And I'm, I am not advocating any point of view because this is mm -hmm. outside of my range of work, other than to say that there are a lot of very smart people dedicated to addressing these challenges and ignoring them creates moving forward the same set of stickiness that we have now. And so we have, I do think we have to address it. And I also think that that that's conversation overlaps into a very um, in the U.S. a very challenging political conversation at this point in history. That's right. That's right. It's actually interesting that you mentioned the topic of incarceration because there's a company here that I work with in Phoenix, and they have uh, about a third of their workforce is incarcerated, and they have a very sophisticated training program to up-level sales skills. Um, so it starts at a call center level, and then it really becomes consultative to their clients. And most probably, I think it's something like 92% go on to work for either a client or for the company itself uh, when they get out of, of prison. And it's an incredible model of success. And and uh, particularly for it's a, the women's prison here, um, so it's so it's primarily women, and they go on to really just have self-sustaining lives and become just incredibly successful uh, and re reunite with their families. And it's and the recidivism rate, <laughs> which is always hard yeah, to say, um, ends up being something like maybe four percent of that particular group. So, which is totally different from the uh, 60% that it is mm -hmm. otherwise um, because they have so much opportunity presented to them because of that training program. And, and so there's a large movement around, you know, looking past that box that people need to check in terms of being um, uh, uh, charged with a federal crime, right, in mm -hmm. on applications. And how do we look beyond that and see that people have been reformed and have had training and potentially could be viable candidates for for uh, amazing jobs and careers. 
And so I, anyway, I think there's all kinds of great models that could be, that could be leveraged at a, and, and scaled. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to move us to close just because I love the example. And I think there are brilliant examples all over our country and world for people doing mm-hmm. things that can be expanded. I, I want to just bring us to a close so that our listeners get to hear how do they contact you? What's your latest book? What do you want to make sure that they walk away with? Sure. Yes. Uh, my book is the new global manager. It's available on Amazon and also uh, audible. Uh, you can contact me at Melissa at lambsonconsulting.com or lambsonconsulting.com is my website. I um, really appreciate the opportunity to have the conversation. I think it's just really important to be con- con- to consider the, the social people aspect, right? It, it sounds simplistic, but as much as, as leaders who are listening, uh, who are saying what would really move the needle in my business and ensure success, it's if you lean into the people and you listen and, and, and develop policies and systems that really uh, uh, appeal to individual motivators as well as the overall company goals, it's, a, it's going to be the formula for success. Great. Thank you. I, I appreciate the the distinction that as we move forward and as our business and nonprofit and ecosystem changes, how we lead must change. And I think you've given some really important information about how do I take that big idea and turn it into very practical thinking about how how we differ in different cultures, how the energies of men and women are different, and how I as a leader need to attend to both. For me, that's a big takeaway. So for our listeners, thank you so much for joining us today. You're listening to Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Your Future. Whether you're listening with Voice America or iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify or iHeartRadio, Please like our show. Please leave us comments. We love to hear your feedback, what we can do better, what you'd like more of, and share us with your friends. I anticipate you joining us again in the near future, and I want to make sure that our that I am focusing on information that is interesting and relevant to you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you again for joining us this week. Please tune in for another edition of Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Our Future with Maureen Metcalf next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope you'll join us then and have a great week.